so we're back with a little special bonus podcast thing. Is it listener feedback again? It is listener feedback. Did we forget to introduce myself again? Uh, yes, we did that. But before. But nobody we... cares anymore, I think. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that uh, we had a lot of feedback from the previous episode on WebRTC. Yes, I, I, I have been aware. My, my Twitter notifications were in the, in the higher numbers. It sort of exploded a little bit. A little it? bit, yeah. a tiny bit. Kind of, I, I felt that people were sort of divided into two groups about it. There was like one group that felt the episode sort of communicate how powerful but complicated WebRTC yeah. was. And they were like, well, you know, it's, it's great to hear uh, you know, supposed experts also having uh, trouble with it. Um, but then there was another group, which was mostly kind of the people who are real WebRTC experts. They felt like we were throwing RTC under a bus. Yes, that I think is a fair summary. And I think it's, we, should, we should clarify what we're going for, which is definitely the first of those two. Yeah, it was the first cases. one. Yeah. Yes, that, yeah. that was our intent. Of course, you know, in, in what we in, intend to do, it, it doesn't really matter because it's, it's, you know, it's how people read into it, I guess, that uh, we really care about. So we're, we're going to sort of clarify our thoughts a on this. A little bit, so. yeah. Little like the bit. first thing that I think comes to mind for me when I rewatched the video um, is that I have this one sentence, which also I've been called out for, is nobody uses WebRTC. Which, right. you know, I get it. Like, that's not a fair statement because if you look at the amount of products that are out there using WebRTC, there's a good number, and probably these products have a lot of users. So a lot of people are using WebRTC. But straight after you talk about the, you know, people are building abstractions and polyfills and stuff. So I, I think it, well, but I could have been clear. I could have said what I meant is there's very few developers who actually do WebRTC because you have, right. the, as we try to like convey this, the learning curve is very steep. So you have to put in a lot of hours, a lot of experimentation, a lot of experiments to actually get a feel for WebRTC and know what to do. Yeah. And so there's a few people who actually know what to do. And also WebRTC is, not every web app needs WebRTC. Right, this is the thing. Like, compare it to something like CSS Grid, whereas I, I think now, or like a modern project, if you were targeting uh, sort of evergreen browsers, almost every project is going to use CSS Grid. Yeah, it's going to become like a basic tool for every web developer. The same is not true for WebRTC. Yeah, and, and many other APIs. Uh, WebGL and uh, like IndexedDB, Service Worker. It, it, <laughs> these are all sort of on a scale of, of things you'll use for some projects, yeah. but not, not, not all of them. Like once you are in a specific area, like you want to build a specific thin thing, then WebRTC might become a requirement for you, and that's where you will realize that it is incredibly powerful and open up so many new possibilities for you to build, like in terms of gaming, video transmission, all these things weren't really possible before unless you were like doing really convoluted via back-end communication thing. Peer-to-peer -peer was never possible before, and right. now it is. And one of the things that we were trying to get across is that it's not just for audio and video. Exactly. Which is, which is that kind of like, <laughs> that's sort of cliche. You search for WebRTC, and you would get the impression that this is just a, a high-level thing put into the browser to make video calls possible. Uh, so you could do things like Google Hangouts without a plugin. Um, and that's what I wanted to show with my demo, right? Where mm. I used the data channel, which is not for video, not for audio, but for data, yep. like strings, basically. Yeah. Um, and I plugged comlink on top and made one browser window talk to another browser window and allowed it to change the document title, the DOM tree, the console lock something to the other browser. Right. Yes. And I think in the, in the video, I described that as pretty incredible, yeah. which I 
I feel now the need to, to, to describe where that lies on the British positivity index. <laughs> which, like, the, if you actually call out something positive by, while being British, that is extremely good in my experience. Well, well I would say, usually it, you would say, it's not bad. On, on the trading <laughs> index, uh, one US awesome is equal to about 0.4 not bads in, <laughs> in Britain. So to go all the way to pretty incredible, like, the, the, the UK banks were on the phone saying, we've had to buy positivity from Canada <laughs> to allow you to say that. We now and have a misery deficit these days. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they, it, was kind of, it was pretty serious. Like, this is, this is a, and seeing just when you're accessing things that are only in Safari through a Chrome console, yeah. uh, and it's RTC that's plowing that through, I, I genuinely thought that was, that was pretty, pretty exciting. But we're also serious when we say, WebRTC is complicated. Yes, definitely. And I think um, in that regard, it's somewhat comparable to, to WebGL. Mm. Like, very few people on the web specifically go and do raw WebGL, because right. the API of WebGL is literally the C API of OpenGL wrapped in JavaScript. There's almost no convenience added. It's so it's almost raw. always free JS on top of Exactly. People like go to the abstraction library straight away. And I guess what we need is something like free JS for WebRTC. I've been mm. told there is a project called EasyRPC and probably more. I haven't looked into them, so I can't really judge what they're doing. But it seems like they have a similar goal to like build libraries right. and tools and, and backend services that make all of the, the hard bits of WebRTC easier. And I'm not saying WebRTC is hard because, lol, they didn't know any better, mm. but because probably they have much more use cases in mind and much more understanding than I do, and they know it needs to be this hard. Well, I think in the podcast, we compared it to IndexedDB, and I think that's a fair comparison, that there are parts of that API that are difficult to use because it, of when it came out. It came out before promises. It predates like certain patterns that are now established in right. API design. Yeah, that might be true. But also like IndexedDB and maybe other things like uh, push message bodies, it's complicated because it it's, it's complicated. Yeah. To to in order to sort of show you all of the uh, all of the parts of it and to be able to use all of those parts in in your own way, yes, you we have given you all of the complexity that is yeah. required to actually make this thing work. Yeah. I also want to say, I think there's probably a way the API could have been made simpler. Mm. But that's, that's just the story of the web. Like The API was made in a way by people who actually are experts in that very field. Yeah. And, and that's what we got now. And that's OK. That's something we will figure out how to work with. There's lots of other APIs that have a similar problem. Well, like we want to web. add promises to IDB for yeah. similar reasons. Like. Exactly. In the first iteration, it didn't have them. Right. And exactly. that was painful. Um, it actually got me thinking about something that happened in a, the service worker meeting recently. Uh, this was at TPAC. So we've been looking at About Blank for <sighs> about a year now. I have attended two service worker face-to-face -face meetings, and I think About Blank always came up as a problem slash black sheep of the service worker world. <laughs> yes, yes. And it was when, when we uh, it was when we were dealing with the client's API and how we were wanting to describe pages that hadn't quite come into existence yet. Like, is it in a fetch event, if it's a navigation, we want to sort of give you some detail how to get a hook into the page once it's created. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was when someone said, well, what about, about blank pages? We're like, well, that should just work, right? And then they described how about blank works. And we're like, oh, 
Oh no. <laughs> and so, so here's, here's uh, one of the cases uh, that I certainly didn't know about uh, when this came up, is if you have uh, an iframe in the page, and then you run some JavaScript uh, straight after that. So this iframe can point to any uh, same origin mm -hmm. page or whatever. And in, some, in the JavaScript, straight after that iframe, you go into the iframe's content window. Okay. So you're reaching into the iframe, mm -hmm. into its global environment, its realm. Which you can, because it's the same origin. Exactly. But at this time, the page you've asked to load hasn't loaded yet. Yes. Because you're just you're running JavaScript straight after that, yeah. that, that iframe's been parsed. Um, so the page you're reaching into is actually about blank. No way. Yeah, because it well, what else would it be, right? It's it's I don't know, like it's, an empty document that is about to be filled. Now, I, what you just described there is about blank. <laughs> no, I thought like it would be the document with like the given URL. It's just oh. empty, like because it, it depends on if you have iframe source set or not. If source is not set, I would expect it to be about blank. If source is set. Well, that's interesting, actually, because uh, yeah, the, the, the browsers do different behavior a bit. And mm. what you describe is actually sort of more similar to what Edge does. Interesting. Uh, but the behavior is the same in that in, in other browsers, it's about blank. But if you change some of the global state in that window, like uh, if you change the, if you set some variables, if you add event listeners onto that, um, that about, play, about blank page is going to go away, and the, the new page yeah, going is going to be thrown away in. and replaced with a new. Yeah. But the global isn't. For the tape, Surma is pulling a confused face. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is true. Like if you set something like um, you know uh, content window dot foo equals bar, then when the new page loads into the iframe, that is still going to be set. That sounds like black magic. It is. And do you know why? Well, as far as I can tell, the reason that behavior is in there, and this is in the spec, this behavior. All the browsers follow the spec a little bit differently. But that intent of you change the global and it stays changed, uh, that is in the spec. OK. And it's in the spec because browsers did it. You know, it's, it's one of those yeah, things. Yeah, it's that, like oh, retrofitting the spec to a reality. And the reason, as far as I can tell, that, that this happens is that when iframes and scripting first became a thing, some engineers decided to be kind to developers. How went, dare they? I, I know. But in this case, they thought, well, we don't want developers to have to deal with load events of iframes. Yeah. So we'll just make it work by magic. <laughs> they, so developers, they feel like they're interacting with the iframe, which hasn't loaded yet. Mm. Uh, but we'll, we'll, kinda, we'll keep the global around. We'll connect the dots so it just works. Wow. And now, like 20 years later or whatever it is, we're Some dude comes up with like a service worker, worker API, right. and it screws up everything. <laughs> yes, we now have this API which talks about like, or exposes when these globals are created yeah. versus when documents load. And it's like, oh, well, you know, people tried to really help back in the day. But now we're, we're landing in a position where we're, we're having to expose this, and developers are, might come into contact with this edge case. Yeah. And, it, and we were faced with the decision again, and we thought, well, we could try and sort of work around this, we could pretend that this weird behavior doesn't happen. And then we realized, oh, oh we're, we're now doing the same thing those folks did 10, work 15 years ago. Around. Right, and then in 10 years' time, someone's going to be like, oh, why did the service worker guys, why did those folks do this stupid thing to try and work around this thing, rather than just expose what is really happening? So is that what you're doing now? Yes, it is. Yes, so there are cases where 
we will, uh, in a navigation, we will give you the client ID for this about blank page, and you'll be able to get hold of it and go, oh, yes, this, this client is already there, even though the navigation hasn't completed yet for this client. Interesting. And that'll yeah. that only happen in this about blank. So, what is, so does that mean that now the slight differences in browser behavior that you mentioned need to align now? or um, Well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. And that's one of the things that we're sort of struggling with in the spec and we're struggling with in the tests. Because we're writing these tests according to the spec, but all the browsers work differently. And, and so we're trying to put notes in the spec to say, the most important thing is that you expose these clients when you create them, like, you know, speaking mm. to browser implementers. What we don't want to do is for browser implementers to follow the spec and not actually reflect what their browser is doing. <laughs> and that's incredibly difficult to test for when you yes. want to communicate. It's like, yeah, don't, don't pretend you're doing the right thing. Just tell developers what you're actually doing. Yeah, because it's just going to create baggage in the long run. Yes. So and, and it got but that's this whole RTC thing reminded me of that. And it's and I think that's the right thing for specs to do is to be honest about what is happening in the implementation, yeah. even if it means there's a little bit more complication now for developers to get their head around. Yeah, and that might be very fair. Maybe my 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 desire to make the web RTC API more simplistic mm. would be hurting developers and the ecosystem in the long run, because then we would have to hide certain you know, problems of connection establishing, codec negotiation, whatever. Mm. And then later on, people want to hook into that process and are able to, while with the API, maybe they are. I don't even know, because that's lower than I ever went with WebRTC. But, but I think it's important with the whole uh, extensible web thing that we, we don't forget about the higher level stuff. Yeah. And, and I've, maybe we've had enough evidence now with um, WebRTC to kind of start looking at what the next higher level would be. Yeah. And I mean, we're, I think we're certainly there with uh, Index DB and, and, and we <laughs> Definitely. <some>. Right. <laughs> we, we started looking at, you know, is it time that we added a, just a, an async local storage type of thing? Because mm. that's what a lot of people I kinda, know, yeah, kinda. do with this kind of thing. Uh, yeah. So I think, I, think, I think in summary, play with WebRTC. It's great fun. It's but. If you find yourself hitting against this steep learning curve, yeah. it's not you. No, no, it's it is a hard topic. Yeah. It is a hard API because it is a hard topic. Um oh and one 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 thing. I I have never said the word telecommunications person ever. Not in the no, last No, no, you definitely you definitely didn't mention them at no, all. No, <laughs> I didn't. So that that was that was another thing we got picked up on, wasn't it? Saying yeah. that it was that the, the API was invent by invented by telecoms. Which apparently isn't true. No. Or at least like they weren't as involved as I thought they were. No, it sounded like they weren't very involved at all, which I, I Also, I didn't know that apparently telecoms might be perceived by some people as an insult to work on this, and I'm very sorry about that. Yeah, it sounded like there was a bit of a battle between uh, those folks and yeah. browser folks. So, oh, well, there I, we go. I, I don't know the details. I'm not going to even pretend to summarize all the info I've gotten thrown at me on Twitter. <laughs> oh, do you feel, oh, do you feel a little beaten up on Twitter? No, no, it was. It very, does happen. I, yeah. It was very informative, but just like I, I'm, I'm not going to recite it because I'm, you know, I can't just trust random tweets or even even if they're like experts. Even then, you might, you know, a long history that doesn't fit into 280 characters. So right. And we don't and we don't rehearse this podcast either, so we're, it's a, it's a one take job. Yes. So so it turns out we do stay we do say stuff wrong. <laughs> we, we do stay. We are not we do infallible. Stay soft. What? 
just I'm glad that I even said that wrong. I think for, <laughs> English for me that words. English words. <laughs> All right. Um, well, we've got we've got a few podcasts and and shows and stuff coming out. Over I mean, the, it's it's almost Christmas. I wonder if we do something for Christmas. I wonder. I wonder if we've already recorded it <laughs> and been looking at the edits. We have that. We have another podcast coming out, which I guess might be in the new year. Yeah. Uh, which is why we wanted to kind of yeah, get this out, like do this now. Set this right. Set the record straight. And I, I, th I think I think did, we did that. Did, did you think we? we did? I hope so. Maybe we did. Anyway, bye. Bye. <laughs>